Well, today we take a look at that question that I think all of us have wrestled with at some point. If God is so good, if God is so great, if God is so just, why is there suffering on earth? Why is there pain? Why is there injustice? In fact, even bigger for us is like, why do I have to go through this if God is so good? Anybody ever been there? In fact, some of you might be there right now. And normally, I have everybody stand and we read the word together. But this week, I want to do something a little different. If you're going through something right now, if your life isn't exactly where you wish it were and things aren't exactly how you want them to be right now, I'm going to invite you to stand in faith. I want you to stand. Those of you who are going through something, because I'm believing by the end of this service, God's got something for you. Amen? In fact, what we're going to do is, there's a passage of scripture we're going to open up from, and it's from the prophet Habakkuk. And here's what happens. Habakkuk was a prophet to the people of God, and he was going through a tough time. The people of God were just about to be carried off to Babylon. Now, in those days, when you conquered a people, you know, people in those days barely went more than 20 miles when they traveled. They'd stay close to home all their life. So when a conquering enemy came in and grabbed you, they would take you hundreds of miles away. And that's what the Babylonians did. They were taking the people of God over to Babylon. And here's what Habakkuk wrote. In fact, those of you who are standing, I want you to read it with me from Habakkuk chapter one. Let's read it together. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. You do not come to save. Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. Now, maybe yours isn't quite as bad as Habakkuk's, but God knows what we're working through. And we want to pray for his work today. Lord Jesus, you see every one of us. You see every one of us, especially who are standing right now, saying, God, it's not easy. God, we need to see you. We need to know you. We need to experience you. And I pray that for every person who's standing in this moment, acknowledging their need for you, that you would meet them today in a special way. Lord, come and do your work in us. Speak to us. Because far more important than anything I have to say is what you have to say. And I pray that the word of the Lord be strong and powerful and rich and life-giving and bring hope to each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. As you're being seated, turn to somebody next to you and say, I'm gonna leave you with more hope today. So first of all, let me talk to us about why these moments are so hard for us. When things don't quite work out, when things are rough, when we're struggling with something, why is it we struggle so badly? Well. Let me talk about, first of all, some cultural messages. Here are some ways of thinking that pervade our culture, it pervade our lives, and we need to understand what's really true and what's not true. Let me give you the first cultural message that's not true, and it goes like this. The goal of life is to be happy. That's what our culture says. Let me give you an element of truth. We have the word of God. 
we have the scriptures that give us guidance and direction, give us a perspective and lenses to read our lives and the world. And let me tell you about the books in the Bible. Maybe some of you can quote them. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. But let me tell you, there's one book that's not in here. It's the U.S. Constitution. <laughs> that's where the phrase comes, we're guaranteed life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is not in the Bible. Now, God bless our founding fathers. They wanted that for us. But you will not find anywhere in Scripture that the pursuit of happiness is somehow what's supposed to guide our lives. It's really interesting. Sometimes, you know, I'll, I like to pray for people. I'm like, oh, how can I pray for you and your kids? I'm like, I just want my kids to be happy. That's a cultural message that is not found in Scripture. Tim Keller says it this way, in the secular view, suffering is never seen as a meaningful part of life, but only as an interruption. Secular says, you gotta be happy. I gotta do what makes me happy. I want you to be happy. Let me tell you right now, that's a myth, that's a lie, it's not biblical. Let me, let me give you another cultural message we receive. And here's how it goes. If I do good, I'm going to be rewarded. And if I do bad, I will be punished. That's a cultural message. In fact, that's often what's called sometimes in the Bible, the retribution principle. This is actually what the book of Job wrestles with. The retribution principle. And here's what it is. Wicked people, what happens to them? They suffer. And righteous people, what happens to them? Well, the righteous people, they are blessed. They prosper. And that was part of the problem with the story of Job is all of his friends said, look, Righteous people prosper, wicked people suffer. You're suffering, so guess what? You're wicked. <laughs> but you know what? At the very beginning of Job, God says clearly, Job was righteous and upright. He had integrity and honest in all of his ways. So these friends are wrong that are saying, look, now there's a general guideline, there's a general proverb that implies and is truthful that says, you know, if you do what God wants, he wants to bless you. If you don't, he will curse you. But that doesn't necessarily mean that every time you do good, you'll get blessed and every time you do evil, you'll be wicked. Because I know plenty of wicked people who are prospering. <laughs> but I know some righteous people who are suffering. This is not a biblical guideline that good people get good things. Because I don't know about you, but when something starts to go wrong, it's like, what did I do wrong? Or it's like, what can I do good to make up for this? But the bottom line is the wisdom of God. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five when he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, referring to God, he says, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. Now, I don't know what, what you think about rain, 
But in those days, rain was a sign of blessing because it was an agricultural world. If you didn't have rain, nothing would grow. So when rain came, we're blessed. So he's basically saying, rain falls on good people and bad people. So the bottom line isn't, oh, if I do good, everything will happen perfectly for me. Here's another one of those cultural myths. It goes like this. I have to be okay now. You see, when philosophy dropped the belief in God, and we weren't living to please God, and he wasn't the source of all things, when philosophers said there is no God, what do we live for? Well, it became this. It's called existentialism. What gives me meaning is what I'm experiencing. And so I have to be happy now. I have to have everything I need now. And if I'm not experiencing now, something's wrong. Those are cultural myths that I believe the scripture wants to help us overcome. Here's one of the passages that helps us with that. In James chapter one, he writes these words, consider a pure joy when you face trials, knowing that will develop perseverance and maturity. There's a hint here that going through stuff shapes something inside of us, that maybe the goal isn't just to be happy now, and everything I do will work out. Here's what we want to do in the next moments as we open the word of God. To over these, overcome these cultural messages, to overcome these lies, we've got to unlearn something, we've got to rethink something and return to something. And that's what we're going to do in the next moments. We're going to ask God to work in us. And here's part of that return. Learning how to find God in pain and suffering. I know you don't want to hear this one. But he wants us to find him in the midst of pain and suffering. Our first example, lead peace, is Jesus. If we want to know how to live and what life should be like, Jesus is our first example. And here's what Jesus went through. When he was praying in the garden, we read in Mark 14 and Luke 22 these words. Jesus was deeply distressed and troubled. His soul overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And being in anguish, his sweat was like drops of blood. Jesus was struggling with what's not yet here. Jesus was struggling like, this isn't the way life's supposed to be. I have a better plan. And he struggled in that tension between I call the already and the not yet. The kingdom of God's already come, but it's not yet fully realized. And sometimes there are moments like, God, maybe we don't sweat drops of blood, but it's like, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. In fact, Jesus went even further on the cross. We read these words from Matthew 27. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, Even Jesus, when he took our sins to the cross, when he went to bear our shame and our sickness and our sorrows, in that moment, he's like, God, it feels like you've forsaken me. And we can sometimes feel like that when pain and suffering and injustice and frustrating things happen in our lives. Tim Keller once again says these words in his book, The Reason for God. It can't be that God is indifferent or detached from our condition. God takes our misery and suffering so seriously that he was willing to take it on himself. That in the midst of our pain, Jesus is like, I can be with you. I can help you through this pain. I can let you see that there's something more. 
Let's go to our next example. Besides Jesus, the Apostle Paul, who I believe was the greatest entrepreneur of all time, gives us some clues for this whole story. You see, Paul's writings and Paul's leadership and Paul's choices and Paul's travels birthed the church. And everything that we've experienced came out of his willingness to walk through and give the gospel, not just to Jews, but to the whole world. And here's what that key leader of the church says in 2 Corinthians 11. I've been in prison. I've been flogged. I've been exposed to death. I'm starting to feel a little embarrassed now. I've been beaten with 39 lashes multiple times. I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked. I've been followed by bandits. I've been without food and water. I was given a thorn in the flesh to torment me. As a leader who says, follow me as I follow Christ, he's saying, it's not always going to be happy every moment. It's not always going to feel great now. He goes on to say in chapter 12, these words that Jesus spoke to him. My grace, Jesus says, is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast in my weaknesses and suffering. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Hey, let's keep that up there. I want to read this one more time. I want to speak this over everybody who hears my voice right now. Jesus is saying to you, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And we can say, therefore I will boast in my weaknesses and suffering from when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's give God thanks. Paul also wrote this powerful passage of scripture that I think sometimes we quote out of context and we don't understand fully. When he's talking about difficulties and going through things, he gives this great verse that I, we all love to tell people. It says, and we know in all things, God works together for good. Now, let me sort of correct a misconception here. There's actually three Greek words for good. There's the one that means beautiful, that things look good and things are beautiful, they're good. There's another one where Jesus went about doing good things, it's good actions. But this word here has to do with ultimate good. God works together for ultimate good. What does that mean? Well, if you read this verse in context, you'll see that he goes like this. We know that in all things, God works together for good. The next verse, that we would be conformed to the image and likeness of his son. You know what the ultimate good is? It's not that we're happy and everything is perfect now. The ultimate good is that you and I become more like Jesus. That's his good. Every circumstance, every sorrow, every struggle, every trial, every frustration we face, God says, if you'll let me, I'll work it to make you more like me. Paul says it another way in 2 Corinthians 4 when he writes these words. He says, outwardly we're wasting away, but inwardly, <laughs> we're being renewed day by day. Then here's his advice to all of us. So, fix your eyes on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He's saying, don't just look for these happy circumstances. Don't just look at the clock today and say, oh, here's where I am. Look beyond what can be seen to the unseen because that's what's eternal. What you're seeing is temporary. In fact, that's a good word for all of us. 
You stood up today, I wanna say something, it's temporary. We wanna look to something that's more eternal. Now, let me sort of unpack this in a different way. I wanna tell a story from the Bible about another prophet. Not a lot of people read his book, even though it's 48 chapters and it's really a great book, but it's the story of a man named Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Now, let me tell you a little bit about life in Ezekiel's day. Nobody would have ever said to Ezekiel, hey dude, what do you wanna be when you grow up? You know, we just came through the beginning of the school year and I saw dozens and dozens of Facebook and Instagram posts of little kids standing saying, hi, my name is, I'm going into X grade and when I grow up, I wanna be blah, whatever. I saw astronauts and I saw doctors and I saw, uh, I wanna be a mommy. I saw all kinds of things that people wanna be when they grow up. And we tend to ask kids that. And they're like, oh, what do you wanna be when you grow up? Nobody ever asked that in Ezekiel's day. You know why? If your dad was a carpenter, what were you going to be when you grew up? A carpenter. As soon as you were old enough to get in there, he was teaching you to do what he did so you could continue the family business. And a kid whose dad was a carpenter never said, oh, I want to be a stonemason. No. If your dad was a stonemason, what were you going to be? Exactly. Women had it even worse. I mean, basically it was like, you were gonna be like your mommy, which means you have children, you cook, you clean, you take care of your family. That was it. It was a sad day in history. <laughs> but let's talk about Ezekiel for a minute. Ezekiel's dad was a priest. What do you think Ezekiel was gonna be when he grew up? A priest. And so that's what he knew all of his life. When I grow up, I'll be a priest just like my dad. I'll be in the temple worshiping God for the people. I'll be ministering to the people for God. But here's the problem. Remember, that's the Old Testament. Jesus hasn't come yet. And they didn't have a fully developed understanding of who God was. Here's what they thought. They thought that God lived in Jerusalem. Why? because that's where the temple was. The temple was in Jerusalem, so they thought God lives in Jerusalem. So guess where all the priests lived? They lived close to Jerusalem. They either lived in Jerusalem or Jericho, which wasn't far away. And they lived there because God's in Jerusalem and that's where he is and that's where we worship. But here's the problem. Because the people of God have been disobedient, they got dragged off to Babylon. Again, thousands or hundreds of miles away from where they were used to being, here they were. So Ezekiel found himself in Babylon. What's the problem with that? I'm supposed to be a priest. Priests are supposed to worship God. God's over there in Jerusalem and I'm hundreds of miles away. My life is over, I'm done. What am I going to do now? My purpose is gone. My life is gone. This is how I, not how I wanted my life to go. This isn't how it's supposed to work. I'm a priest and here I am in Babylon in God's way over there. But here's what happened. God showed up in Babylon. God appeared here 
to Ezekiel and spoke to him. In fact, if you read those 48 chapters, the last verse ends with this. I am Jehovah Shammah, which means I am the God who is here. God said, look, not only am I there, I'm here. I'm with you in Babylon. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to speak to you. And God poured into Ezekiel's life all kinds of messages. And then he said to Ezekiel, let me tell you, it's not your fault you're here. You weren't the one doing all the sinning. You got dragged here through no fault of your own, but you ended up here. And because you're here, I want you to know I'm with you. But I want to show you who I am because there are some people coming behind you who are going to be in worse shape than you and they're going to need what you've received from me. So let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you what I'm like. Let me tell you what I want to do. And when they come, you'll be able to touch them. In fact, Ezekiel in the Hebrew means this, strengthened in order to strengthen. And that's what happened to Ezekiel. He was strengthened so he could strengthen those who were coming behind him. Now you're saying, Pastor Wayne, why are you telling us this story? Let me tell you why. We think God lives in happy marriages that work forever. We think God works in a job that keeps you till the day you retire and then gives you an amazing retirement. We think God lives in children who listen and do every single thing you tell them. We think God lives in every bill being paid on time every month. We think God lives in perfectly healthy bodies. But what happens is we end up in divorce or children who just don't listen. Or a job that ends. Or a body that stopped working. And we're like, but God, you know, good people get good stuff and I've been so good and I'm supposed to be over there. But the word of Ezekiel is this. I'm here. I'm with you in the midst of this. I know you weren't expecting to lose your job. I know you weren't expecting that marriage to break up. I know you weren't expecting that diagnosis from the doctor. I know you weren't expecting that your kids would respond that way, but I wanna let you know something. I'm here, I'm with you, I'm working. I'm working this together for good. And he's like, I wanna give you a revelation of me and here's why. There are people coming behind you are going to need what you get right now. If you don't get anything, it's wasted. You won't have anything to offer. That's why in the midst of our Babylons, far from what we think our Jerusalem might be, God's like, I want to strengthen you. I want to work in you. There, there's a great passage when we read the, the story of Job. He comes to the very end and he says this. Job says to the Lord, I know that you can do all things and no plan of yours, Lord, can be thwarted. Surely in the past, I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. But now I will speak. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Here's what happens. Babylon helps us see the Lord if we let it. If we keep looking at what's seen, and what's temporary, we'll never catch it. But he's like, lift your eyes, look higher, look beyond, look to what I have for you. 
In fact, Habakkuk, who we started with, says this in chapter two, verse four, look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. That's where he calls us to. I want to go to the last verses of the same book. Habakkuk, we read, oh God, where are you? Why aren't you working? Here's how he ends. He says, though the fig tree doesn't bud, though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Basically saying, though my life is not happy and right now it's miserable and nothing's working the way it should, he goes on to say, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go to the heights. That's what God wants to do for you today. Though the sheep are gone and the cattle are gone and the olive oil's not flowing and whatever you thought would be happening isn't happening, he says, yet I will rejoice in God. Why? He's making me more like him. He's working this out for my good. He's at work even now. The answer to pain and suffering is Jesus himself. I'm with you. I'm for you. Even though suffering is part of being in a world that's still under evil. Where is God? He's here with you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me for just a moment. We're going to receive ministry as the worship team comes and then we're gonna take communion together. But here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. All of us have a strong hand and a weak hand, right? Think, Think for a minute, which is your strong hand? Now, here's what I want you to do. Raise your weak hand. Lord, in this moment, we acknowledge our weakness. We acknowledge our need for you. We acknowledge your purposes that somehow you are working everything together for your good, including this Babylon we find ourselves in. I just pray grace for each person, strength for each person, hope for each person to look beyond what is seen to what is unseen. Overcome the lies and replace it with the truth. Jesus, you are with us. You are here. Whatever we face, whatever difficulty, you want this to make us more like you. So Lord, help us to look to the right place. Rather than circumstances, we look to you. Rather than our frustrations and pain, we look to see that Jesus, you are here.